love of money. Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM 640. Yeah, Santana, smooth, with a little Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20. That is the fidelity part of Hi-Fi Radio. Good morning, Toronto. Welcome to the show. Looks like a gorgeous weekend. So you get out there and you have yourself some fun and bring that radio with you. Wakey, wakey. Time for some coffee. Time to learn about money. High finance. Great show lined up again. Uh, on the line right now, we got Benjamin Tull. Uh, he is with CIBC World Markets, Deputy Chief Economist, uh, followed by a little trip to sick kids. Uh, Ted, Ted Jarrett, the Chief Executive Officer, um, head of uh, basically uh, uh, foundations and uh, raising of money is going to join us. Uh, you're going to talk about, of course, the, the great Canaccord Genuity Sick Kids Walk that's taking place next weekend for a great cause. Uh, we're then going to move over to talk about TIFF with my friend Don Allen of Revolver Films. And we're going to end it with a little bit of talk about Mary Jane. Matt Bottomley going to talk about legal marijuana and the process that uh, Canada is about to undertake over the next 12 months coming up to Canada Day 2018. So without further ado, the big bank deputy, deputy, deputy chief economist, Benjamin Tell. Uh, Benjamin, thank you very kindly for joining us this morning on Hi-Fi Radio. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Benjamin, I've seen you speak many times. Uh, you're, you're a brilliant economist. Uh, you've been with, what, CIBC World Markets now for 15 years. You're, you have a lot of cred on the streets. And, you know, the, 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 the reason I brought you on first and foremost is I want to talk to you about the rise of the loony. When I spoke with you or, or saw you speak at a Renaissance presentation, I guess about three or four months ago, you, you, you were adamant that the Bank of Canada has a weak currency policy. They want a lower Canadian dollar dollar to, to spur economic activity. Tell us, has something changed with your thesis? Yes, that was the case, absolutely, because, you know, this bank, uh, over the past two years, everything that they did was uh, with this dollar agenda. It was in mind because, uh, let's face it, why did they cut interest rates in 2015? It is a dollar agenda. The governor wanted to see the dollar going down, and that's why, until uh, two months ago, despite the economy doing extremely well, he was basically focusing on the clouds, not the sun. He was basically telling you that uh, what you see is not what you see with major implications for the way people understand the bank and all of a sudden within you know over the course of breakfast they changed their mind and they became very very bullish on the economy and i think they realized that even them even the bank of canada cannot totally ignore the good news coming from the economy when the economy is um, expanding at 4.5 percent on an annual basis, basically like an emerging markets leading the OECD, as a central bank, you cannot tell people what you see is not what you see. <laughs> you definitely have to admit that that's the case. So I was very critical of the bank. I thought that they should uh, raise interest rates a year ago, not now, a year ago. Uh, but now, uh, finally, they decided to raise interest rates, and that's a very, very good thing. Now, as you know, the dollar did go up to about 82 cents, and that's a very high, and I believe that uh, this bank, still with an agenda to maintain a relatively subdued dollar, probably will not uh, continue to raise uh, interest rates uh, 
Otherwise, this dollar will go places and they would like to avoid that. Mm-hmm. So, so Benjamin, it's Jack here. Uh, last week when uh, the Bank of Canada made that announcement, were you surprised or were you forecasting that? No, that was our forecast. We forecast that they will move in September and they did move in September. Uh, listen, in uh, January and June of 2015, the Bank of Canada cut twice by 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. Now, they cut because, the, you know, remember oil prices went down and Alberta was in difficulties, and they called it insurance uh, cuts. Basically, they cut because of the fact that they thought that the economy needs some sort of insurance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I saw them, uh, you know, a few months ago, and I said, you know, you cut by 50 basis points. There is no emergency whatsoever. There is no need for insurance. We have to undo those insurance cuts. And that's exactly what they did. They basically raised by 50 basis points, eliminating this insurance. Now, the next move is actually tightening monetary policy, not just uh, getting it back to the pre-insurance cut. And that's more difficult. Why? First, the dollar is rising. Second, the economy is expanding by 4.5%, but in the next quarter, it will be only 2, 2.5%. Mm. The numbers are telling you that we are slowing down. And much more important, the Fed in the US, it seems that they are not going to move in December. So if you are at the Bank of Canada, you, do you really want to divorce yourself from the Fed? Namely, you are raising, they are not raising, this yeah. dollar will go places. I think they would like to avoid it, and that's why I'm guessing that they will uh, stay quiet uh, until the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So that that's your forecast to the end of the year, Benjamin. I've got a, a floating rate mortgage on my house. Uh, so longer term, looking at what are your projections for the Bank of Canada, call it uh, into the uh, end of next year. Yeah, I think that if they move by 50 basis points, I think that would be more than enough. Uh, listen, we are talking about a totally different environment here. Listen, we know of one country, Japan, that for 20 years, has been trying to get out of this disinflationary cycle for mm-hmm. 20 years, and they cannot do that. Right. And I guess the fear deep inside is that maybe slowly but surely all of us are turning Japanese, yeah? <laughs> I, I think that's something that we have to respect, that we so, are the North American version of Japan. Listen, I'm sure that all those Japanese economists over the past 20 years, I'm sure that every year they said, you know what, interest rates will rise next year. Next year they will rise. Next year. Next year, it's like the Toronto Maple Leafs, eh? Next year. <laughs> and, and nothing is hey, hey, Benjamin, stay with us here. First of all, I, I, I certainly hope uh, uh, North Korea doesn't sink Japan. And number two, got to pay some bills around here, so stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio, Benjamin Tull is on the line. He's going to be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM 640. All right, that'll wake you up, eh? Make you feel good. First thing in the morning, Hi-Fi Radio. Benjamin Tall is on the line with Jack Hartle and, of course, Wolfgang Klein, your host. 
Uh, Benjamin Tell is the Deputy Chief Economist at CIBC World Markets, uh, a prolific speaker, prolific writer, very, very intelligent man. Uh, and so he's basically telling us that with the interest rate environment, Benjamin, Jack need not lock in his mortgage. He's good for now? <laughs> well, you know, it uh, depends what you want to do. But what I'm telling you is that interest rates will not be rising dramatically right. over the next year or two. They will be rising, and that's a good thing, but uh, they will not be rising to the sky. You know, it's not uh, even close to what uh, we have seen in the 90s and 80s. Totally different environment of mm-hmm. low inflation. Yeah. So so I, I want to I break the, the conversation down into two parts now, Benjamin. One, I, I want to speak to you then about how good the Canadian economy is and the pockets of strength that you are seeing, because certainly out west, the, 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 the oil patch folks are not terribly happy. Uh, so energy is not participating, I don't think, in this enthusiasm, maybe off a low base, certainly. But then two, of course, uh, let's talk about the housing market in Canada and in and, and, and terms of pricing and debt levels of consumers. So we'll start with the former first place in terms of the strengths in the Canadian economy that, that, that are on your radar right now. Yes, you know, the economy has been very strong. As I said, 4.5%. Uh, we'll take it. It's almost like China, yeah, like an emerging market. Uh, <laughs> it is It is one. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have uh, the question is why? And the, the answer is actually everywhere. You know, first of all, we had a rebound in energy. Absolutely agree. The level of activity is still very, very low. But when you move from negative to positive, it's a big positive. So we got a nice contribution from energy. That's a good thing. But even ex-energy, you see the consumer, you see housing, and for the first time, we see business investment, which is a biggie. That is and big, yeah. Yes, we need that. So really, it's broadly based. And listen, when, we, when the Bank of Canada got the report, 4.5%, broadly based, they raised interest rates, no question asked. So that's where we are now. But the issue is that if you really look at what's coming, and we have a very good indicator, which is like a small, small business activity, which is always a leading indicator, and they are slowing down in July, August, September. Their numbers are down, which means that the economy will follow. So if we had 4.5%, in the second quarter, we might be getting only two, two and a half percent in the third quarter, and I think that's uh, that's something that uh, will uh, slow down overall activity. Something that we have to take into account. The Bank of Canada is taking into account, but uh, listen, the 4.5 percent that we got, that was really, really good surprise. Of course, we'll take it. So now the second half of the question with housing, I'm going to throw a third one at you. The Canadian dollar, how much higher, or is it going to? Is, is that it? Well, I think that actually the Canadian dollar is overshooting. And if the Bank of Canada is not moving anytime soon and the Fed is not moving, I think uh, we will be in a situation in which the dollar will go down a little bit, a few cents. Uh, I think that we are overshooting. Currencies are always overshooting. That's yeah. an example. Mm-hmm. And then housing? Housing is a big one. And of course, when we talk about housing, we care about two uh, two uh, cities, uh, Vancouver and Toronto. The risk is really not very interesting in terms of economics and activity. It's true. Uh, Sad, so actually. Really, we have Toronto and Vancouver that are impacting the global psyche, the, the, the country. And Barrie, of course. You forgot Barrie. Yeah, Barrie, of course. When I say Ontario, when I say Toronto, I mean the GTA. And of course, all those areas that are impacted by the GTA. Barrie is one of them, by the way. Mm-hmm. We've seen the correlation between Toronto and Barrie rising because we see a lot of people 
people actually going to places like Hamilton, London, Barrie, going all St. Catharines. Uh, yeah. No, St. Catharines had a huge bump in real estate those because of value. Yeah, those are the Toronto refugees that are, uh, you know, fleeing because of affordability. The Toronto refugees. <laughs> yes, but uh, <laughs> we are seeing a situation in which uh, prices uh, have been going up so rapidly, and what we are seeing now is Toronto slowing down, and that's wonderful. That's extremely good. That's exactly what we need. We have a situation in which in 2016, prices went up way, way too quickly. Correct. And uh, I'm sure that if you look at the fundamentals, you cannot explain it. So there was some speculation there, some flipping. And I say it's very good that we are slowing down. Clearly, gravity is taking over there. But also, of course, government regulations that are slowing down the markets, making it more difficult for people to qualify. And more is coming. And interest rates are rising. So this market is actually going to slow down. It's not a free fall. It's not a crash. Most of the softening is in the detached segment of the market, namely low-rise as opposed to the condo market, this is a very good thing. We need to squeeze out all those speculators Agreed. from the market and we'll get back into a healthy market. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Benjamin, I got some young children at home and I certainly would like to see an affordable housing market when they become of household consumption age. And again, a, a big part of our strategy uh, here at Canaccord uh, is of course, playing off the millennials, the millennials turning 30. Then um, that's going to equate to some 3 million Americans. Of course, what would benefit up here in Canada? 3 million Americans turning the age of 30. And hence, you kick into household formation. You have some bambinos. You buy some washing machines and dryers and stereos. <laughs> for Hi-Fi Radio. Benjamin, a real pleasure to have you on the line with us. Uh, I wish you a great weekend, my friend, and I look forward to bringing you back on. It was Benjamin Tell, Deputy Chief Economist, CIBC World Markets. Coming up next, it's all about giving my friend sick kids. Uh, what a wonderful organization. They took good care of my son when he broke his elbow. They wonderful care of him. So Ted Gerard, the Chief Executive Officer from the Sick Kids Foundation, is going to come on and talk to us about the Canaccord Genuity Walk for Sick Kids that's taking place next week and just how good it is to give because when you do so you shall receive right after this stay with us there's more shows still to come you're listening to hi-fi radio from the am640 studios in toronto for the love of money hi-fi radio with wolfgang klein talk radio am640 Ah, little Def Leppard. Early morning, Hi-Fi Radio. It is appropriate because we have Don Allen in the studio. Uh, Don, Don is the founder of a company called Revolver Films. Revolver Films, uh, brainchild behind that. Also uh, very much involved in the Liberty Organization, the Liberty Grand, Spice Root, the Rosewater Cafe. Uh, very well connected to the uh, film industry and as such very much involved in TIFF, a huge, huge event for Canada, I shall say. Uh, Don, thank you very, very kindly for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio this morning. Pleasure. So, so Don, let's, let's start with TIFF first and foremost. Um, how significant is it to Toronto? Well, it's, it's gone beyond. It's, it's hugely significant to Toronto. I, I think the number is something like a quarter billion dollars that it's bringing in in 10 days. And um, beyond that, it's, it's significant to film in general, Hollywood in particular. Um, you know, Time Magazine has called it the most influential um, festival in the world. You know, hmm. Con has more prestige, but I think more business gets done at, at Toronto. I was in Con once. What a beautiful place, eh? 
It's amazing. So the fact that we can hold up against that is very, very impressive, Don. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in terms of how many parties, how many events, uh, any clues of how many take place in Toronto over that 10-day period? Well, obviously a lot take place at your venues. Um, yeah, we've had a lot over the years. You know, it used to be the host bar at the Rosewater back in the day because we were one of the only places that had a late-night license. So it, it, what was great about that when, when there was only one is it became a true industry gathering every night. Um, these days, there's a lot of party promoters and, you know, a lot of clubs getting involved. So it's very much more spread out and much more cliquey than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go over to the, um, the evolution of your company, uh, Revolver, because again, it all ties back into Hollywood North, which is very, very important, has been very important to both Toronto and Vancouver. Jack and I, of course, are Bay Street boys, and we're paying attention to the Canadian dollar. Uh, Jack was just talking to Benjamin Tal about the Canadian dollar, and obviously that has to impact budgets when they're seeking locations. I understand filming in New York is virtually impossible. My kids and my family get a good kick watching Suits. But as I walk uh, around the city, I'm not seeing as much film activity. So uh, tell us, did the Canadian dollar and the amount of film activity in the last couple of years in Toronto, where are we at? No, we, we, we hit a lull. Probably our lowest point was with SARS and because people panicked about it. Nobody knew about it. And then th- after that, you know, the Canadian dollar took a rise. So that hurt us. We were at par you know, which I, mm-hmm. nobody thought would ever happen again. And, um, but then, it, it, you know, as we sort of plateaued around the, you know, 25% off, essentially Canada's on sale 25% off. So it's, it's attractive to filmmakers. But beyond that, it, it, it's not just, there are lots of places that have favorable exchange, exchange rates or great tax um, rebates to producers. But here we've built an infrastructure. You know, I've, I've shot all over the world and our crews are as good or better than anywhere. And and so, you know, people appreciate that. And, you know, there, there's so much sort of diversity here in terms of locations and, you know, all, all, all the top gear, all that kind of stuff is accessible here. It's also an, an hour and 15 minutes from New York. It's, you know, four or five hours to L.A. So that's, you know, it's not Vancouver gets a lot of stuff because, um you know, it's it's a little closer to L.A., mm-hmm. but but it's a location. Nothing originates out of there, you know, whereas stuff originates in Toronto. Stuff's created here. But you know, and, and you are a content creator, Don, and, and content is king in my world. Always has been, always will be. Uh, you know, Jack and I were watching Disney stock, and, uh, you know, Jack's biggest concern with the Disney stock is? It's the cable and the cord cutting with the ESPN. That's been the cash cow for years, and it seems like, uh, you know, the market's gone very cold on that just with uh, people starting to stream TV and I actually just signed up for it myself yesterday. Yeah, and then we watched the Cineplex stock and that stock has taken it on the chin again due to lack of content but then we hear from the likes of Netflix, we hear from Amazon, we hear from Apple, uh, tech companies producing content. So your business, you know, if you're speaking out to students who are, you know, at Ryerson at the college, they want to become producers, creators, um, what type of advice would you give them and, and, and type of career path? And do you think it's still a viable business for the next 10 or 20 years? Yeah, I think more than ever. Um, you know, what I've said to directors from the beginning, because Revolver was incorporated in 83. We're the oldest music video company in the world and, and, and have wow. n- nurtured a lot of talent over the years. Flory Mundi, who did the runaways and like the last four of the last five Bowie videos and stuff like that. Those nice. huge commercials. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a thing where I would always like, cause you know, young directors will come and they'll be looking to get a job. And what I always say to them is, look, what you got to do is create your own stuff, create your own work, create your own reel and ultimately create your own content. And, and that's how you, you, you create work for yourself and are not at the mercy of just being hired by a company. 
Very, very smart. It's funny. We had a lady, Susan Ross, on with us last week, and she's now teaching at Ryerson. She's an ex-TV exec. And she's, again, to get some traction. And same Sarah Scott, the entertainment lawyer. They're both on at the same time. They said, basically, now artists, now we're talking about music artists specifically, they have to go out and do exactly what you said. Create their own content. Create a following, an Instagram following, and a chat, uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Flapchat, all that stuff. Socialize, socialize themselves. Show the stats to the producers, and if they have enough numbers, they will then get backing from the. I say court. they're basically de-risking themselves to the uh, the major labels is what they're doing. Right, and, and again, you, you you know that business is equally well done. The, the the upfront cost that record companies used to put into artists, hoping that one in ten would actually make it. Uh, so it, things have really really changed, haven't they? Yeah, it's changed huge. Like even Disney, you know. I'm not sure if it's public knowledge or it's just hearsay, but I, I've heard that Disney is is retracting all of its content from Netflix because it's going to start its own. Correct. That's correct. Yeah, it was announced last month, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, tell, tell us, what's on for the weekend with TIFF? Um, it's wrap-up. You know, uh, you know it, it tends to be more about Canadian stuff towards the end of the week. There'll still be a few galas here and there, but it's it's, you know, it's it's been a long week. I bet it has been. Again, next year you're right back at it once again, eh? Yeah, hopefully we'll have a film in it this year. Good for you. Don Allen, uh, founder of Revolver Films. Uh, what did you say you were? Just an entertainment uh, when, when I first started interviewing? I'm a director. A director. I'm a producer. A director, producer, and uh, all about town kind of a guy. Real pleasure having you in the studio, my good friend. Thank you for joining us on Hi Fire Radio. Cheers, thanks. All right. Coming up next, we're going to take a trip down to Sick Kids Jack, or we're going to talk marijuana. Which one are we going to do next? Uh, we'll start with Matt Bottomley, marijuana. Matt, Matt Bottomley, sure. <laughs> Canada Ingenuity Analyst, talking about those legalized marijuana stocks right after this. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio, AM that song and i miss david bowie so much hi-fi radio folks good morning yes you can be a hero and please be a big hero sick kids is on the line ted jared the chief executive officer for the sick kids foundation which is responsible for raising funds for the hospital for sick kids one of the most respected children's hospitals as we all know in the world uh ted i want to thank you very kindly for joining us on hi-fi radio this saturday morning Oh, I'm pleased to be here. So, look, we're partnering up with you, uh, Canaccord Genuity. Uh, the Great Camp Adventure Walk is taking place next weekend. It's the fifth annual, and uh, it's been a very, very successful partnership, I shall say. It has. Uh, this is the fifth year, and uh, if all of our fundraising projections go as we expect, uh, over the five years, we have raised more than $10 million for the Hospital for Sick Children through this event. That, that, that's just terrific. Um, well, I know Canaccord is very supportive of the event, and we're doing a matching program. Uh, correct, Jack? I believe, yeah, next week, uh, any, any funds raised by Canaccord employees are matched by Canaccord. All right, so I'm going to donate 500 bucks right here, right now. Uh, you mark me down for that, Jack. 500 bucks comes from Wolfgang Klein, the Wolfgang Bay Street. Canaccord is going to match it with another 500 bucks. So, Ted, you just raised 1000 bucks. Boy, you're off to a good start, pal. Thanks. Uh, 
Thank you. It's it's my absolute pleasure. It really, really is. Uh, I'll tell you a little story here. A couple months ago, uh, we were up at the cottage. My son took our little dirt bike out for a ride. It was actually two thirties, not a little dirt bike. When he's a growing teen, and uh, wet log front tire slipped on the wet log. He was barely moving. It was like three kilometers an hour. Uh, bike fell down, dislocated his elbow. Nine o'clock in the morning. So we take him to the Minden Hospital, who took very, very good care of him, uh, but limited facilities. They couldn't do what was required because the surgical procedure was required. So. There's a moral to the story here. The Minden Hospital said, look, it's Saturday. Wait till Monday. We patched him up. We, re- we reset his elbow, but there's a break in it. Uh, wait till Monday. Maybe go to your, your your GP and get some help. And we said, gee whiz, can't we get in soon? They said, well, we, sick kids would be the place to go, but we're not sure if there's surgeons are on staff on the weekend. And so we went down Sunday morning, a day after the fact, and they said, why did you take so long? We could have taken care of you yesterday. And sure enough, my son was in surgery, I think an hour and a half after his, after his arrival. It was unbelievable care. Well, we're here 24-7 for any child who needs the kind of support that kids can provide. You mean that, and you, you delivered on that. So uh, I have to thank you for that big, big, big help to my son. So um, uh, Sick Kids, it, it, is, it is an international brand. Um, how far-reaching are your charitable uh, 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 efforts? Uh, and, and, and are you actually reaching and, and, and receiving money on a global basis? Oh, we do. Um, we raise money uh, around the world to uh, help. Um, uh, support research that we do here at Sick Kids that has uh, impact all around the world. We also have a number of global child health projects underway. So, for example, we're working in the Caribbean to help countries there better diagnose and treat kids with uh, cancer. Uh, we've got programs in Africa. Uh, one, for example, training uh, nurses to be pediatric nurses in Ghana. We've got a partnership with the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital in Johannesburg. Um, and when we take on these global projects, we're not shy about going out to international companies, foundations, and people to ask us to ask them to support us um, and the work that we can uh, achieve both here in Canada at home, but also to have impact around the world. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, are, are patients coming from abroad to, 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 to receive the, the, the benefits of your services? Well, only on a humanitarian basis. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we are principally funded uh, by the Ontario government. And, of course, first uh, call on services has to go to residents of uh, the province. That said, um, we have, through uh, something that was established over 30 years ago, the Herbie Fund, brought in uh, well over 800 children uh, over that period of time who needed life-saving operations that only sick kids could provide. And all of their uh, costs are funded through philanthropy. The doctors and nurses actually donate their time to uh, support the kids and do the surgeries. Um, but that's really the scope of our international activity. We, we, we will uh, you know, occasionally deal with a child that can't get help anywhere else, uh, and they come to sick kids, but most of it is done on a humanitarian basis. How many children go through the sick kids' doors every year? Do you know? Uh, well, we have over 100,000 patients who uh, come to sick kids each and every year. Wow. Some of them are coming in for their first diagnosis. Sometimes some are coming in for, uh, you know, long-term chronic care. Um, so our emergency room sees about 75,000 people a year, um, in addition to those 100,000 patients. And a lot of people come to our, our clinics uh, as opposed to actually having to be here as inpatients. Uh, so, yeah, we get a high volume of people uh, 
you know, kids and families who rely on sick kids every year. That's it. Sorry, good, Jack. Yeah, Ted, I was just saying, uh, just getting back to the uh, the Great Camp Adventure Walk, uh, yeah. what, what can uh, participants expect, and uh, can they still sign up for it if they want to? They can, for sure. Uh, I encourage people to go to www.walkforsickkids.ca. Um, what can you expect? You can expect a fantastic, fun-filled day for you and your family. This is a, a 20-kilometer challenge-by-choice uh, route that takes you through really interesting neighborhoods of Toronto. You don't have to walk 20 kilometers. You can go two and a half, you can go five, you can go 10. Uh, we provide you with breakfast to get you started. We provide you lunch at the midway part, uh, at the conclusion, which, uh, by the way, the event starts and ends at uh, Fort York. Uh, we have all kinds of fun activities for kids and families. So it, it's a it's a family-filled day that we, you know, brings families together, uh, supports a great cause. Um, I think teaches our kids about the importance of giving back to their community, and um, you know, as I say, raises uh, a lot of money that has a lot of impact. Well, look, uh, God bless you. God bless your organization and for helping my son. Uh, I really, really can't thank you enough for that. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio, folks. That was Ted Gerard of Sick Kids. Coming up next, Mac Bottomley, Canaccord Genuity Marijuana Analyst. Right after this. Money. Stay with us. There's more show still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. I guess not anymore, eh, Matt? Uh, yes, a little, little Bob Marley to set us up for Matt Bottomley, uh, Canaccord Genuity's marijuana analyst. Matt, welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing very, very well, thank you, this morning. So, uh, headline news around legalizing marijuana is the police associations, I think a number of them, said that there is no way they are going to be set to uh, properly govern the legalization of marijuana by Canada Day 2018. Uh, what are your comments on that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, impaired driving was certainly a concern, as it should be. Uh, you know, the Ontario government did say more is to come on this in terms of, you know, what their uh, guidance will be uh, to help facilitate, uh, you know, a, a fairly, uh, uh, you know, stress-free open implementation of, of this program. I think the one thing to uh, keep in mind is that I think a big issue when it comes to impaired driving is sort of the incremental user. Uh, by no means is, is, is impaired driving a good thing either way, but there is an illicit market that exists today. I think there's a significant demand you can see by all the illegal dispensaries that are operating in many cities in, in, in Canada already, that this is, uh, this is certainly uh, a product where people are consuming today. So I think it's the incremental users that, that, that we need to be worried about in terms of the uptick in usage that, that could see, that could see the, the roads become a little more unsafe than that. I think the police uh, overall, their concern is a good thing. I think it's important to think about these issues uh, as we're rolling it out. Uh, and the government has said they're going to invest a lot in public education and, and training with healthcare. care uh, uh, the healthcare community. So, th- in terms of the the technologies and other things that might assist them, I mean, any, anything can go, I suppose. Right now, blood testing is the most efficient way, but 
uh, that's hard to do, uh, you know, as a roadside stop. So I know that there's some pilot projects with saliva and other technologies, but there's definitely a lot to be said uh, in terms of exactly how to how to facilitate a safe uh, implementation process when it comes to uh, considering our roads. And then and let's talk about distribution. Um, we spoke to Bruce Litton a couple of times just in the green room over at BNN. Uh, and, and Bruce is, is a big believer, I believe, I believe in using the internet to distribute. Thinks it's safe. Uh, you have, of course, Canada Post being the delivery system uh, or some other secure delivery system. Uh, but there's talk, of course, of them uh, in Ontario uh, mimicking the LCBO model uh, and basically having the government do all the retail with through bricks and mortar. Uh, what have you learned about the, the, the mode of distribution, how you think it's going to play out province to province? Yeah, so I think uh, there's a lot of uh, stories that need to play out. Ontario obviously is going to be likely, you know, 40% plus of this overall market. So they, they had some some announcements last week, late, late last week that, that did give some color. So in terms of the distribution model, LCBO-like model is, is absolutely correct. Uh, I think online is, is, is going to be very important because you're going to have, it looks like to be 40 stores for July 1 is the plan for Ontario. And they're only ramping that up, or at least initially planning to ramp that up to about 150 stores over the first few years. So you compare that to the LCBOs that exist today, there's almost 700 of them. So I think that's important to, to line that up because as far as uh, you know, my estimates go, I think that the, the revenue potential of the cannabis market in Canada, in Canada certainly could rival the alcohol market if it was 100% brought uh, into regulated channels. So I think online is certainly going to be necessary in order to facilitate it. Uh, right now, the LPs in the medical market, the licensed producers in Canada, are selling direct to consumers via mail. It's the only way to legally get it. Uh, and they're enjoying retail margins because of that. So although online sales uh, need to be, and I think likely will be a part of the, the program, it will be controlled by the government. So it'll likely be some sort of government portal that's used where you can log on to purchase marijuana. So the economics of how that share between the LPs, is, in my opinion, is still very unclear. I think any upside of retail margin to licensed producers certainly has incremental value, and it's an important thing uh, for us to monitor when we look at some of these publicly traded companies. Uh, so from a practical standpoint, yes, online sales uh, look like it will be part of this program. How it actually relates to these licensed producers, I think there's still... Uh, so some details we need on that. And then the other thing that's been on my mind, but I've heard no one speak about it then, of course, is the sin tax. Uh, booze is taxed, smokes are taxed. Uh, are they going to be taxing pot? Well, I think... Uh, yeah, just, I should, that, sorry, I have to preface that. Of course they're going to. <laughs> they, of course they're going to. Slap myself, Wolf. Uh, how much are they going to tax? 100%, 200%? Uh, what's, your, what's your best uh, best guess? Well, I think, it's a, I think it's a good question in terms of the taxation because it's not that obvious of an answer. I think there is argument to say that taxation might be limited to low, uh, you know, right off, the, right off the onset. And the reason for that is the government, the finance minister said last Friday that the two, uh, you know, uh, things they're going to consider when it comes to pricing is, one, you want to keep it lower than the illicit market, or at least on par, because mm -hmm. the whole point of legalizing this is protecting youth and then trying to actually stomp down on illicit channels. And he also said that you don't want to price it high enough to encourage use. The government's platform from the beginning is not to encourage cannabis use, it's to regulate it so it's, it's people that do choose to consume it is done in a regulated, safe way. So in order to keep the price below uh, the illicit market, which I believe the, uh, the Parliamentary Budget Office had a report last fall, which put it at about $9 a gram, uh, if you want to tax this thing at 20 30 40%, the, the, you know, the, the LPs today and the producers today and all of the different parts of the value chain that need to get their margin are going to require to do that in order to get an adequate return on their capital. So you can't tax this thing above the illicit market and you can't tax it where it makes licensed producers unprofitable. So it's going to be a challenge. I absolutely think that there's going to be a, a potential for, for huge tax benefit. 
uh, from legalization. I think uh, you know everyone would, would generally agree with that. But how it actually gets implemented, the, the being the taxation part off the bat, I think really is up for debate. I think there's a chance that the taxation cannot be that significant to start. That's fascinating. Absolutely. Make a tax break on your marijuana. Unbelievable. Uh, and for good reason, if that were the case. Uh, look, stay tuned, Matt. I want to ask you a few more questions. I know Jack does as well. Uh, good morning, folks. Uh, we got Matt Bottom in the line, and he's going to be right here after this commercial break. Stay tuned. Money. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. Money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Irie, brothers and sisters, Wolfgang Klein here, Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle in the studio with us to assist the cause, and we got Matt Bottomley on the line, he is Canaccord Genuity's marijuana analyst. I never ever expected to come onto Bay Street and come across a marijuana analyst, perhaps in Jamaica, but not here. But sure enough, times do change, uh, Matt uh, don't you know you're a young guy, Matt? You're at thirty some odd years old. We're not going to get too specific, but uh, basically have a a, a young, uh, upwardly mobile career to be working in, in a very very hot space. Must be quite exciting for you, eh? Well, yeah, it's definitely interesting to be you know at the forefront of a market where, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, it's really coming out of thin air. But when you look and forecast uh, some of the demand, there are a lot of proxy things you can use in regulated markets and, and, and other anecdotal data to suggest that there absolutely is a demand. I mean, if you're working in the tech space, when that was starting to boom late 90s, early 2000s, what the market actually was going to be was, was up in the air. What a search engine would be was sort of an unknown, but there certainly is a demand for cannabis, and it's something that uh, is very interesting to sort of, you know, be working in this space as more and more companies you know, become public through IPOs or RTOs. I think when I started uh, looking at this space about a year Plus ago, there was maybe you know six, seven companies of, of note, and today there's well over 20, probably over 30 or 40 if you include include some of the peripherals. So it certainly uh, keeps us busy, that's for sure. Now, look, Canada is on the forefront of, of, of much uh, change around the whole industry or sector or new sector that's being created. And Jack made a very, very good point that uh, the problem is just basically out of thin air created a potential billion-dollar retail operation uh, if they were to control right, all the... They have mar- a monopoly over the uh, yeah the marijuana distribution in Ontario now, just like they have not the LCBO. So, Incredible. Um, they looked at the, the dispensary model, I'm sure, and, and looked at that and saw it was run by individuals, uh, small businesses. Uh, they didn't want to go that way. They decided to obviously monopolize it. It looks like that's the direction that yeah. the Ontario government's moving. I, you know, the, those dispensaries I never could get my head around because I knew, everyone knew they were illegal shops and the fact that someone would dare open up a visible store with, with, with a marijuana leaf on the front and, and expect to be able to sell the product prior to legislation. I don't understand what they were thinking, Matt. But anyways, for, for another day. Uh, let's talk about specific names in your space here. Uh, g- give us some of your, your favorite. Again, the space has gone cold. Um, again, speaking to Bruce Litton, he said, you know, that the space was hot. There was a lot of news around it. It went into a quiet period. Bruce thinks from, from Canopy, uh, uh, he, he believes that we're now going to get into a, a period of more news flow coming through, which should wake the sector up. Matt, do you, do you agree with that statement? And secondly, give us some of your best ideas in the space. 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I think there's certainly something to be said for that. I mean, if I could, I wish I could time the, the bull and bear runs in this space by week. Uh, you know, when the money comes in, it comes in, and when it goes cold, uh, it goes cold. So I wish I could time it uh, in more macro sense. But as a fundamental analyst, we're kind of always looking out to the next year and, and looking at the fundamentals and what can be supported. And we try and not get too uh, caught up in the noise, the noise of the market. But I think that you know what we saw uh, from maybe April uh, when the legislation was first tabled uh, up until maybe about a month ago. Uh, I think we did see that cooling off, and we saw valuations in the sector come down 20, 25% even. And I think the main reason for that is sort of a lack of macro-level catalysts. I mean, if you go from when Trudeau ran, uh, you know, winning the majority, putting this platform in place, having a task force go uh, and do some research, that task force reporting towards the end of 2016, you, know, you move into early this year, the, the legislation was tabled. I think that uh, there was always sort of this 30-day window of news flow coming and coming in terms of what this industry would look like. I think there was more people that were, were, were a bit critical in terms of whether this was actually going to be uh, an industry that does get regulated and put through. So, you know, there's, there's de-risking that happens over time, but I would say over the last, uh, you know, number of months, four or five months, certainly that has, uh, that has cooled off a bit. And what we're seeing now is the, the government in, the, in Ontario last Friday giving their potential distribution platform, New Brunswick, uh, uh, this Friday uh, announced what their platform is, and it's very, it looks to be very similar to Ontario's. Uh, and we're, you know, getting news flow in terms of some of these expansion plans that a lot of the LPs are doing in order to scale up and, and, and build out capacity to, to be able to to be able to supply this market. So but, sorry, Matt, but, but, sorry, Matt, but that, that is the one kicker to it all, isn't it? Because the market, in fact, is expected to go up, correct, 10x. Uh, by volumes, I think that that's probably about accurate over the Yeah, yeah. Another way, from from, from uh, legal medical consumption today to recreational, perhaps in a year's time, uh, th- th- that's sort of, the, I think, the expectation by all of the uh, legal producers, the LPs that you're referring to. It is, but I, I would caution that the, the medical market today is also not mature. That's also growing. So we're Correct. At a very, very, very low base, but yeah, I would say 10x. You might have you know, 50 to 75,000 kilograms of, uh, of demand uh, currently right now based on the patients that are registered. I think the, the mature market many years down the road, regula- regulatory channels in place, distribution and all that could be could be close to 800,000 kilograms. Some people estimates are as high as a million. Mm-hmm. Well, when do we expect the next big piece of news flow to come out? Well, I think, you know, we're not necessarily going to see a, a huge bang of, 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 of uh, you know, the switch being turned on. I think that we're starting to see little uh, examples of that, and maybe not even so much little, but we're seeing Ontario last week, as I said, had some news flow of what they're going to do, New Brunswick on Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that more and more provinces are eventually going to have to chime in, so I, I think it's going to be slow and steady, and, and eventually that, that, you know, in my view, the box will be checked that makes this legal, and I think once it's officially legal, I could see more individuals and companies and, and institutions that maybe not have, you know, they might be waiting for that final check before they're willing to jump in. I think that that could certainly uh, be a catalyst uh, within the next 12 months or so. Fascinating. Well, we'll see, of course, what happens on Canada Day 2018. That was Matt Bottomley, analyst with Canaccord Genuity. He covers the marijuana space. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Zoom Optical for allowing me to see oh so well with my beautiful new glasses. Zoom for your eye care needs. They're so good. Uh, Folks, Hi-Fi Radio wants to wish you a wonderful weekend. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to joining you each and every Saturday morning right here on AM640. 
You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.